If you want to hear more stories of missing planes and missing ships, don't miss the all-new podcast coming from me. I will be hosting a brand new show that talks about the mysterious ships and planes that just seem to vanish at sea. I will be bringing you the all-new podcast called Vanished by Air and Sea. This is If I Go Missing, a podcast where we tell the stories of those who have gone missing so that they aren't forgotten. And maybe, just maybe, we can help bring them the justice they deserve. I am your host, Megan. And I'm your co-host, Lynn. Are you ready to dive into another story? Always. Let's do it. Let's go. If you want to hear more stories of missing planes and missing ships, don't miss the all-new podcast coming from me. I will be hosting a brand new show that talks about the mysterious ships and planes that just seem to vanish at sea. I will be bringing you the all-new podcast called Vanished by Air and Sea. Welcome to another episode of If I Go Missing. I ask you guys what cases you would want to hear about on Instagram, and one of those was the case of Amelia Earhart. So, we're going to do Amelia Earhart. And, I mean, you know, why not? It's like one of the most famous missing person cases ever. Just in case anyone doesn't know who Amelia Earhart is, we'll start by telling you a little bit about her. But before we do that, I actually have something really funny to tell you about how I actually found out about Amelia Earhart. Do you remember the old Mary Kay Nashley shows that I used to watch? Yeah. The um, ones where they were detectives, the mm-hmm. adventures of Mary Kay yeah. Nashley. Well, in their theme song, part of it goes, where is Amelia Earhart? That. Who put the bop in the bop? She bop, she bop, she bop, she bop. So every time I think about Amelia Earhart, I immediately flash back to that song. And that's the first time I ever heard her name. I go to night at the museum. (laughs) And it's funny because I didn't know who she was. You told me, maybe back when you used to watch those, you told me who she was. Really? I thought I asked you. Mm -mm. No, I didn't know. I I mean, I I didn't know who she was. I don't think Google was a thing back then. I don't know how I found out. (laughs) There's no telling. You've always been investigative. That's true. Although my boyfriend likes to just say I'm nosy. Yeah, I was being polite. All right, so are you ready to dive into who Amelia Earhart actually is? Well, let's do it. Amelia Mary Earhart was born on July 24, 1897 in Atchison, Kansas, to Amy Otis Earhart and Edwin Stanton Earhart. Amelia was followed in 1899 by her sister Muriel. The family moved from Kansas to Iowa to Minnesota to Illinois, where Earhart graduated from high school. During World War I, she left college to work at a Canadian military hospital where she met aviators and became intrigued with flying. Yeah, you know, because flight guys are always interesting. Oh, flight suits. Top Gun, hey. <laughs> totally. I can see where that came from. Hey, Tom Cruise, where are you at? <laughs> he went here then. Oh, yeah, that's true. Good point. Good point. <laughs> After the war, Amelia Earhart completed a semester at Columbia University then the University of Southern California. With her first plane ride in 1920, she realized her true passion and began flying lessons 
with female aviator Netta Snook. On her 25th birthday, Earhart purchased a Kenner Airster biplane. She flew this plane in 1922 when she set the women's altitude record of 14,000 feet. With faltering family finances, though, she soon sold the plane. When her parents divorced in 1924, Earhart moved with her mother and sisters to Massachusetts and became a settlement worker at Denison's house in Boston while also flying in the air shows. Earhart's life changed dramatically in 1928. A publisher named George Puttenham tapped Earhart to become the first woman to cross the Atlantic by plane. She succeeded, albeit as a passenger, but when the flight from Newfoundland landed in Wales on June 17, 1928, Earhart became a media sensation and a symbol of what women could achieve. Putnam remained her promoter, publishing her two books, 20 Hours, 40 Minutes, published in 1928, and The Fun of It in 1932. Earhart then married Putnam in 1931. Though she retained her maiden name and considered the marriage an equal partnership, this kind of equality was huge back in those days. I'm really sitting here thinking the same thing. I mean, I had no idea the woman wrote books. That's pretty awesome. I'm sitting there thinking, that'd be cool to read. It'd either be really cool or really boring because of the time period. This is true, too. I think it would be one or the other. I'm sitting here looking to her mom and dad divorced in 1924. Yeah, I'm sure that was not like common on the docket. Yeah. I mean... There's, there's a lot in her life already, um, and a lot to come, that's like, wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, her life from the beginning was anything but ordinary. No, um, I'd like to have a little bit of her spunk. Yeah. <laughs> She's a lot like the woman on um, Night at the Museum. <laughs> I, guess that, yeah. I guess that's where they get that personality from. Possibly so, yeah. Because I was like, I you know she's like that. Well, now we know how she knows. Now they know she's like that. Yeah, I remember us talking about that. Yeah. I mean, she was extremely spunky and she was go get her. And it's like, hey, Kayla, y'all just making this crap up. I guess not. I mean, it doesn't look like it. Yeah. And I mean, to be the first woman aviator, I think you kind of have to be a bit of a go getter. Well, not the first woman aviator, but the first woman in aviation to do the things that she accomplished. Yeah, not just fly little things or. Yeah. Do a little quiet thing because you because she was trained by a woman pilot. Yeah, so she obviously wasn't the first. Right, but you don't know nothing about that woman because she, I guess she's never did anything big or she never pushed it further. I learned how to fly a plane. Well, we'll be put it all in. So she pushed it further to I explored. Yeah, my options of a plane. I reached the height record. I yeah. set out to set other records. I mean. Excuse me, man listening, but she kicked your butt, and she made it in the record books. That's pretty awesome. Well, like I've always said, well-behaved women rarely make history. <laughs> okay. You don't I'll hear do about the polite ones or the quiet ones. They're not the ones you remember. Mm. Regardless of how they got their notoriety. Yeah. You know, um, it's not the well-behaved ones that did what they were told every second of every day. They made history. Yeah. It's the rule breakers, the, the ground breakers, the achievers, the go-getters. They're the ones that... The ones that step outside the box. Yes. They're the ones that really made something of themselves and paved way for us today. Makes sense, yeah. In 1932, she became the first woman to fly solo across the Atlantic as a pilot. Her awards included the American Distinguished Flying Cross and 
the Cross of the French Legion of Honor. In 1929, Earhart helped found the 99th, an organization of female aviators. Cool. In 1935, Purdue University hired Earhart as an aviation advisor and career counselor for women who purchased the Lockheed plane she dubbed her, quote, flying laboratory. On June 1st of 1937, she left Miami with navigator Fred Noonan seeking to become the first woman to fly around the world. After leaving Miami, they went to Oakland, California, and on June 1st, 1937, Amelia Earhart, along with her navigator Fred Noonan, took off on an eastbound flight around the world. She flew a twin-engine Lockheed 10E Electra and was accompanied on the flight by navigator Fred Noonan, on June 1st of 1937, Amelia Earhart took off from Oakland, California on an eastbound flight around the world. It was actually her second attempt to become the first female pilot ever to circumnavigate the globe. The pair first flew to Miami, then down to South America, across the Atlantic to Africa, then east to India and Southeast Asia. The pair reached Leh, New Guinea on June 29th. When they reached Leh, they had already flown 22,000 miles. They had 7,000 more miles before reaching Oakland. Their mission would have been complete in 7,000 miles. I was just thinking the same thing. They were like, seriously close. It was the last leg of the flight. 29,000 miles, 22,000 are behind you. Yeah. Very interesting. Earhart and Noonan departed Leh for tiny Howland Island, which was their next refueling stop on July 2nd. It was the last time Earhart was seen alive. She and Noonan lost radio contact with the U.S. Coast Guard cutter Itasca, anchored off the coast of Howland Island, and disappeared en route. Her twin-engine Lockheed Electra disappeared in the vicinity of Howland Island, which is basically, if we're going to describe it, like a tiny speck of an island in the Pacific, about midway between Australia and Hawaii. This is where the Department of the Interior had built a landing strip specifically for her. Awesome. She had to have been close enough to her targeted landing area, though. The Coast Guard cutter that was waiting for her to guide her in had scheduled communication intervals with her. But for some reason, those plans fell apart. Perhaps because the cutter was in an unusual time zone with like a half hour offset. For reasons unknown, Galepsi, a former airline crash investigator, believes the Electra's receiving antenna that was strung on struts beneath the fuselage broke during that last takeoff at Leigh. And it appears the Earhart never heard the urgent calls coming from the Coast Guard cutter Itasca. But she must have been close because the cutter heard her transmissions growing stronger as she approached Howland Island shortly after sunrise. At one point, her signal was so strong, the ship's radio operator ran to the deck to look overhead for her. But he only saw empty sky. And she, it seems, just clouds an empty ocean. Near the end, her voice was becoming strained. She sounded frantic, according to the Itasca's commanding officer. Quote, we must be on you, but I can't see you, she radioed. Gas is running low. Her last message reported... She was flying on a line, quote, 157 southeast and 337 northwest, but she neglected to say in which of those directions she was heading. 
After that, only silence. That is so sad. Yeah. I mean, she's there. And obviously, she sounded kind of frantic. Obviously, something was amiss and she knew it. Oh, yeah. She I don't. Knew her instrumentation mm-hmm. enough, she knew it. I don't doubt for a minute that she didn't know what was happening. Yeah. I think that she she did know and something happened. Maybe she overshot and didn't realize it or something. Because, I mean, because of the transmission, she had to have been close. Yeah, because they had her clear. Yeah, I mean, they heard her. They went out to look for her. Right. So I guess the question still stands to reason. What happened to Amelia Earhart? Do not know. I guess we'll never know. There are some explanations that have been thrown out. I guess the simplest of explanations and the, quote, official version of her disappearance, unsure of her location and out of fuel, she crashed and sank into the 18,000 foot deep waters northwest of Howland Island. The Itasca hurried off to search in that direction. The battleship Colorado arriving on July 7th would search to the southeast. The aircraft carrier Lexington, based in San Diego, arrived a few days later and stayed in the area until July 18th. None of the ship or planes saw so much as an oil slick, but crashed and sank was the conclusion of Elgin Long, a veteran military and commercial pilot. And that became the official story of what happened to Amelia Earhart. Yeah, I got a feeling, I'm like, wouldn't you have had something? I mean, she's close enough they can hear her well. She crashes. Wouldn't you think there'd be some debris somewhere nearby? Or, I mean, and, and two, they don't know which direction exactly to go, so they try a direction. And it could be by the time they got their things, whatever, debris, or whatever, had floated away due to currents, etc., etc. But just seems like there'd be something. The only way I can think that there would be no debris is if the plane crashed whole. I mean, I have seen like sonar images and pictures and stuff mm-hmm. like that from other planes where they have crashed intact. Hmm. I mean, I, I would assume it's rare, but yeah, they have crashed intact. So, I mean, that, that could be a thing. Yeah. And maybe she was flying slower, trying to find somewhere to land, so that maybe... Wasn't as much damage. Yeah, something like that, but... Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So, I'm never quite satisfied with that answer. Yeah, when you don't know the answer, then it makes a very... Makes a very missing person. Makes it very hard to accept. (laughs) Yeah, it does. Even President Franklin D. Roosevelt authorized a massive two-week search for both Noonan and Earhart. On July 19th of 1937, Earhart and Noonan were declared lost at sea. Scholars and aviation enthusiasts have proposed many theories about what happened to Amelia Earhart. The official position from the U.S. government is, you know, once again, that Earhart and Noonan crashed into the Pacific Ocean. But there are numerous theories regarding their disappearance. I love you, theories. Nearly eight decades after she disappeared into the South Pacific, the aviator continues to spark intense passion and controversy. Okay. So I'm assuming we're going to cover some of these theories and controversies and get all deep up in them. Well, depending on which version you accept, 
Either she was never seen alive again or died a few years later in captivity. I have actually heard both of these and watched documentaries on some of them. I remember watching some of those with you. Um, so what what's the like the main theory? Okay, so here we go. There've actually been as many as nine proposed theories as to what could have happened to Amelia Earhart. Well, let's just take a guess. We'll start with the simplest, the crash and sink theory. According to that theory that we've already kind of explored a little bit, her plane ran out of gas, and while she searched for Howland Island, she crashed into the open ocean somewhere in the vicinity of the island. Several expeditions over the past 15 years have attempted to locate the plane's wreckage, but the seafloor is clear, at least of her plane. I don't know what else they might have found in that area, but her plane ain't there. Okay, yet the Titanic is still there? Oh my god, you read my mind. I mean, the okay. Titanic, we found it nearly, what, 80 years after? I don't even know. It was, I, you know that better than I do. 1912 was founded in the 80s. Yeah. So, yeah, hmm. I mean, her plane should still be there, and it should still somewhat be intact if it was there. Yeah, I mean, the fuel solage, something. Something. Something would still be there. High-tech sonar and deep-sea robots have even given it a go and failed to yield clues about the Electra's crash site. I guess for argument's sake, you could say that the plane crashed so deep into the sea that we don't have technology yet to find it. I mean, we still have planes today that have been lost to sea, so it's not an improbability. It's just not a theory anyone really wants to accept, mm. including myself. Yeah, yeah. Um, Because there are parts of the ocean that are so clear. Not. Well, okay, this isn't, I was thinking the Indian Ocean, but mm -hmm. no, this is the South Pacific. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, Hawaii area should be pretty clear. I don't know how clear it is out in the open ocean versus the beaches. Yeah. Okay. Since I've never been to these places, we'll go on to the next theory and see where it takes us. All right. The next theory involves Earhart landing safely on Gardner Island, but dying before she could be rescued. In this scenario, Earhart would have missed her intended Pacific Ocean refueling site, Howland Island, but spotted Gardner Island, now called Nakumaruru, an uninhabited coral atoll nearby. She landed safely, but died before she could be rescued. This theory has gained ground in recent years due to the discovery on Nakumaruru of artifacts that could be related to Earhart. See, that's what I'm looking for. Items including an empty jar of the freckle cream she preferred, and a piece of plexiglass similar to that used in the Lockheed Electra's airplane she flew. The International Group for Historic Aircraft Recovery recently launched its seventh expedition to the island to search for more clues. I totally agree with that one. Now, this is a theory I might could live with. Yeah, I mean, there are some really interesting ones out there, and there are some really crazy ones. I can believe that. This one has a little bit of tangibility to it, though. It does. Because they found pieces. They found her... Her face cream, they, you know... Well, they don't know they if it's found. hers, but it's the type she prefers. Right, right. And nowadays, you could do DNA and find that out. But... Yeah, I mean, she does have a living niece, and they have, in other searches, we'll get to that a little bit later, but in other areas, they've actually used to compare to DNA and stuff. Well, cool, I didn't know that. But I'm assuming some of the other ones are, have other interesting facts as well. Yeah, ready for a laugh? Okay. I kind of laughed a little bit at this one. So, here's an example of one of the crazy ones. 
So our next theory is more than a little out there. In this theory, it is actually proposed that Amelia Earhart was actually a spy. If she was a spy, the aviator did it in a very roundabout fashion that was not accustomed to spies of the day. Earhart's east-to-west route took her from California to South America, across Africa, to India, and across the northern tip of Australia, en route to a refueling stop at Howland Island in the Pacific Ocean. Okay. According to the official account, at least, she never got anywhere close to Japan. Besides all that, her flight was hardly a secret mission. Newspapers around the world tracked her progress on their front pages. You know, everything she did was publicized. Yeah, that's true. So, the Earhart is a spy theory emerged from a 1943 film about Earhart called Flight for Freedom. And that's kind of where it gained its ground, but no evidence really supports the theory. I personally find it kind of laughable. Yeah, you gotta kind of, I don't know, there's gotta be more to it with the spy thing. Gotta be a little more stealthy. Yeah, were these countries places that would have been significant back then? Or were these just countries on the globe? I mean, so this was 19, early 30s, no, sorry, late 30s, sometime in the 1930s. And around the time of World War II? Maybe Japan in World War II, but she didn't even she didn't make get it near there. there. Yeah, South America yeah. and all the other places they mentioned were pretty much South America was pretty much like Switzerland. Yeah, I've never heard much about them. They kind of yeah. keep it themselves. I mean, I think a few of their countries got involved, but most of it's just kind of like mm, not my problem, from my understanding, anyways. Africa was involved, and we had some fighting there with our tanks. Um, yeah, there's no way to really make that pan out. Mm-mm. I think we can toss that one out. There it went. So, the next theory is actually my favorite idea to toss around next to the crash and sink one. Even though I don't particularly like the crash and sink one. But, it honestly, this next one might hold the most weight. But before we dive into it, just for entertainment's sake, I'll go ahead and tell you the other theories first. All right. A 1970 book put forth a creative solution to the Earhart mystery. The author claimed that the famous pilot survived a Pacific Ocean plane crash and was taken prisoner by the Japanese. At the end of World War II, U.S. forces supposedly found her in Japan and secretly repatriated her to New Jersey. There, Earhart took on the name Irene Bolam and became a banker. When the real Bolam got wind of this book's claims, she vigorously denied being Earhart and sued the author and the publisher for $1.5 million. That was some money back then. Yeah. The lawsuit was later withdrawn, though Bolam may have settled out in court. I would have. If she's asking $1.5 million, they're going to give her a lot of that. Yeah. Numerous experts who have investigated Bolam's life and compared her photos to Earhart's agree that Bolam, who died in 1982, was not the missing aviator. Not only that, you're going to be this adventurous woman that that does things that women have never done, that's going to fly a plane around the world. And then you're going to be a banker? You're going to go sit behind Teller Bank. Thank you very much. Have a nice day. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay, okay. We can, we can just go next. The next theory involves her surviving and somehow making it way to Guadalcanal. Backstroke. So how did that theory even come? 
Apparently, back in 1943, during World War II, several Allied airmen reported seeing Earhart working as a nurse on Guadalcanal. Okay. The person they saw was most probably Merle Farland, a nurse from New Zealand who was said to resemble the lost pilot. According to the 1977 book Lonely Vigil, Coast Watchers of the Solomon Islands, Farland caused a something of a stir on Guadalcanal, where she was the only woman amongst legions of troops awaiting transport. The rumor of her true identity may have been triggered by the hallucinations of soldiers suffering from, you know, malaria, blood loss, other diseases, things like that. God bless this woman. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've I've just... She wasn't Amelia Earhart. She was a saint. Well, I've always said that I would rather work with a thousand men than one woman. And now I cannot say that I would want to put that theory to the test like this. On an entire island, I'm the only woman. Not only that, you're the only woman with a bunch of injured men, and they're probably in pain. Some are hallucinating. Some have, you know, malaria. They're dying of various things, and they all want you to be Amelia Earhart. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that, uh, those are not the most reliable resources there. Yeah. The next theory people toss around is that Earhart crashed on New Britain Island. New Britain Island rests at the eastern end of Papua New Guinea, roughly along the flight path Earhart took on her final few legs of her around-the-world flight. Okay, so since it's along the flight path, let's entertain this idea for like a second. Maybe she crashed there? Some people seem to have thought so, especially back in 1943 when the Australian Army... Oh, dear Lord. (laughs) One of their corporals on patrol in the island's jungle claimed to have found an aircraft bearing a Pratt and Whitney serial number. Earhart's plane had a Pratt and Whitney engine. So did many other planes used in the area before yeah. World War II and during, honestly. Yeah, I don't think there was that many different planes and engine builders and you know what I'm saying? <laughs> no. So yeah, there's there's probably a million of those <laughs> engines. Yeah. It's unlikely that Earhart, who maintained in radio transmission that she was running out of gas near Howland Island, would have had enough fuel to fly to New Britain, which is some 2,000 miles away. Again, the backstroke theory. With the engine in tow? Well, it's probably expensive. You don't want to, like, let it go <laughs> the ocean. <laughs> yeah, some of these theories are a trip. What's the next theory we have? I don't know if I can say this one without laughing. The next theory is that Earhart was captured by the Japanese and became Tokyo Rose. Oh, dear Lord. (laughs) This is kind of going back and relating to other World War II era myths that place Earhart in various Pacific theaters, including Saipan and Guadalcanal. You know, this story originated immediately after the end of the war. A rumor circulated that Earhart had spread Japanese propaganda over the radio as one of the many women collectively referred to as Tokyo Rose. Her husband, George Putnam, actively investigated this league at the time, listening to hours of recorded broadcasts, but he didn't recognize his wife's voice on any of them. Yeah, there's so much in there you could question. Tokyo Rose. I guess that's like a group of women that spread their propaganda through the news. Okay. That's like taking a woman that 
makes it all the way up to the top of NASCAR. And she 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 wins the oh it ain't piston cup. What is it? That was a long time ago. She wins Piston Cup is Disney. <laughs> you mean Winston Cup. Winston Cup. I mean, whatever. Oh championship. Mm. The NFL championship. The Super Bowl. Whatever. I was gonna say, please know the name of that. <laughs> she builds all the way up to this. And then she goes and then spreads propaganda for another country. Come on. This woman has built herself a reputation of strong and adventurous and Shane old Tokyo Rose. Next. <laughs> Next. <laughs> so let's rule that one out. This last theory, before we dive into my personal favorite theory, is a little interesting, though, because the two kind of coincide. You would agree anyways. So there is this theory based on the idea that Earhart was captured by the Japanese and traveled to Imaru Island. Emeru Island is off of Papua New Guinea, and it seems an unlikely place to find Earhart because it's far from the spot where her last radio transmissions occurred. Still, a U.S. Navy crew member in World War II told of being sent to the island and spotting a photo of Earhart tacked up on the hut of a local man. The photo showed Earhart standing with Japanese military officer, a missionary, and a young boy. The sailor alerted naval intelligence officers who allegedly took the photo from the hut against the owner's wishes, but the photo has since never really been found. Oh, much like your heart, but, you know. Since the island had been a haven for some Europeans stranded after a shipwreck in 1940, it's more likely that the photo contained a lookalike and not the real Amelia Earhart. So, I guess... You know, it's pretty safe to say that the photo in the hut was most likely just a lookalike. Yeah. The last theory, which is of the most interest to me, is that Earhart crash-landed was captured by the Japanese military, which goes back to the theory we just talked about that also said she was captured by the Japanese, which is why I said the two coincided and it was a little interesting. A lot of things tied to her are somewhat coming back to Japan. Kind of, you know, like, well, maybe she was Rose. Um, so, yeah, let's see where this one goes. What is said to have happened to her once the Japanese took her? The story is that once captured, she died while being held prisoner on the island of Saipan. So, what evidence do they have to support this new theory? Okay, so back in 2017, and I can't believe I can even say that at this point, back in 2017. <laughs> For real. Investigators announced the discovery of a photo buried in the National Archives for nearly 80 years. This photo may depict Earhart and navigator Fred Noonan days after their disappearance. According to the team led by former Executive Assistant Director of the FBI, Sean Henry, Earhart crash-landed in the Marshall Islands, was captured by the Japanese military, and died while being held prisoner on the island of Saipan. Retired federal agent Les Kenny scoured the archives for records related to the Earhart case, uncovering that photo from the Office of Naval Intelligence that shows a ship towing a barge with an airplane on the back. On a nearby dock are several people. Kenny believes the plane on the barge is the Electra, and that two of the people on the dock are Earhart and Noonan. Something else that makes this, and even more of a curious theory, is that Something else that makes this even more of a curious theory is that 2017 was not the first time this theory had come up. Well, when was the first time? The Marshall Islands Saipan theory of Earhart's fate 
again, isn't a new one. It surfaced back in the 1960s and relies on accounts of Marshall Islanders who supposedly saw the Electra aircraft land and witnessed Earhart and Noonan in Japanese custody. In 2015, Kenny and another amateur Earhart sleuth, Dick Spink, found two metal fragments on Millie Atoll in the Marshall Islands, which they believe came from Earhart's plane. Okay. All right, now we're getting something a little tangible. Is there anything else that um, would prove maybe that she was there? So, this is going to sound super out there, but Marshall Islands government actually issued these commemorative stamps in 1987. Don't look at me like that. Give me a second. Hear me out. So, these stamps were made to observe what people of the region believe was the 50th anniversary of the crash landing of Amelia Earhart and her navigator, Fred Noonan, just off of Millie Atoll. The stamps were designed with the input from many Marshallese eyewitnesses to the event of July 1937. On one of these stamps, it shows a ship which witnesses claim took away Earhart and Noonan and their damaged plane. This ship is also said to be the same Japanese ship that appears in the recently discovered dock photo of Amelia Earhart and Fred Noonan a photo that no one knew even existed until its recent discovery by Les Kinney. The ship was positively identified as the Koshu from documents created by the United States Navy's Office of Naval Intelligence, which were also recovered by Les Kinney in the U.S. National Archives. Okay, so see why this has been so interesting to you? There are a lot of coincidences here. Coincidences and inconsistencies. It is very interesting, and it gets even more curious, too. Some people are even suggesting that American officials may have even known her true fate. These two Japanese communiques were also found in the National Archives by Les Kinney. They're dated for July 5th, 1937, just three days after Earhart and Noonan disappeared. One of the documents, written in a secret Japanese diplomatic code, which was later decrypted by the U.S. Navy, States, quote, since it is believed that she went down in the Marshall Islands, end quote. At the time these messages were sent, U.S. search efforts were focused on Earhart's intended target, Howland Island, almost 800 miles away from the Marshall Islands. This implies that the Japanese were most likely tracking Earhart's flight as well and had a much better idea as to where she actually crashed. The fact that they were housed at the National Archives also implies that the United States may have had knowledge of Earhart's capture by the Japanese, or at least that they were watching her, but have kept information about her true fate classified for 80 years. Things get even more suspicious when parts of a plane recovered from Millie Atoll, where she was said to have crash-landed in the Marshall Islands, somewhat match her plane. Okay. Now I'm getting really curious if this could have really been her plane. So there was this metal piece of plane that was found beneath the surface of Millie Atoll in the Marshall Islands in 2015. A photo of the part that was recovered in 2015 shows that it's a visual match to the rolled aluminum trim edge around the landing gear of a Lockheed Electra E-10. This was the same model of plane the Earhart flew on her last flight. The location of this crucial piece of evidence was revealed to Dick Spink, who, like I said, was the amateur Earhart investigator, 
And it was told to him by a son of the eyewitness who saw a twin-engine plane crashing onto a reef next to Millie in July of 1937. The witness also told his son that the plane was dragged along the beach and brought to Jalut, the location of the dock and the newly discovered photo. The investigative team traveled to Millie Atoll, where they interviewed the eyewitness's son, and they also conducted tests to determine that the metal pieces are consistent with the aircraft metal and that it could have come from Earhart's plane. Okay, so is this like the most recent theory? Actually, no. Before I tell you about the most recent theory, though, I will go ahead and tell you that since this most recent one had intrigued me so much, I did some digging to find out a little bit more about it. Okay, so what were you able to find out? So it was recently said to be discredited. Everything I just told you. That's a lot of possible documentation to be discredited, completely discredited. The documentary and theory rose up again based off that photo. The photo in question, according to a Japanese military history blogger, appears to have been published nearly two years before the aviator vanished in July of 1937. Okay. For its part, the U.S. National Archives noted that the photograph used by the filmmakers in that documentary we saw, Mm -hmm. the photo they used was actually not marked by the date. So we will leave that one there, and you guys can make your own assumptions. I mean, because the picture that I remember seeing, if she's a prisoner of war, she wasn't in shackles. She wasn't, he wasn't, no one was, it's just like they're standing on the barge. I think that was supposed to be like before, you know, like while they were kind of in transport. Okay. But I mean, they could have dove in the water and... Swam to where, home? Been recaptured. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) They were brilliant people. It just seems like... I don't know. Just kind of seems like they somehow contained them. I guess they contained them in the ocean. So you mentioned there's another more recent theory? Yeah, so I found an article that was published in early 2019 by Fox News. Researchers have actually said that a site in Papua New Guinea may contain the long-lost remains of Amelia Earhart's plane. Wreckage off the coast of Buka Island may offer a vital clue in the decade-long mystery. According to investigators from Project Blue Angel, the project's members have been studying the site for 13 years. They say that the wreckage off of Buka Island could be from Earhart's Lockheed Electra 10E. A man named William Snavely, a Project Blue Angel director, says the Buka Island wreck site was directly on Amelia and Fred's flight path, and it is an area never searched following their disappearance. And what they have found so far is consistent with the plane that she flew. Snavely has traced Earhart's route from Ley and Papua New Guinea The researcher thinks that, low on fuel, she may have decided to turn back during her journey to Howland Island. Divers from Papua New Guinea have surveyed the site on a number of occasions. Last year, U.S. members of Project Blue Angel also investigated the site, which is about 100 feet below the ocean's surface. While the complete data is still under review by experts, initial reports indicated that a piece of glass raised from the wreckage shares some consistencies with a landing light on the Lockheed Electra 10. What is even more exciting is that Amelia's Electra had specific modifications done to it for this specific journey. 
and some of those unique modifications appear to be verified in the wreckage that's been found. However, the project notes that the wreckage has been gradually eroded by years of rough water and earthquakes. Well, yeah, that kind of have an effect on a lot of things. Mm. So, while waiting for the results of this awesome find, there is one more thing I'm going to leave you guys with. This wouldn't be true crime without some sort of bones, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. What kind of bones can you have in a plane crash? Let's see. Go ahead, kid. Tell me what you're talking about. What I'm getting at here is actually the discovery of bones. One well-publicized theory is that she died a castaway after landing her plane on the remote island of Nakumaruru, a coral atoll 1,200 miles from the Marshall Islands. Some 13 human bones were found on Nakumaruru, also known as Gardner Island. Three years after her disappearance, these bones were found. I have never heard anything about any bones. Interesting. It gets more interesting. So, I'm just going to throw this out there based on everything we know and the wreckage and the bones. I'm going to say, yeah, they did wreck in the ocean, Mm -hmm. but they were able to bail out. Or at least she was. Maybe he was hurt. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe he was already, like, dead from the impact. I don't know. Well, when you fly, especially like that, because you know you're oceans, you're going to wear a life preserver. Mm-hmm. So she she could have. Yeah, I mean, the fact that the plane was found and then the bones, I mean, she could have crashed and mm-hmm. maybe he was already gone and she was able to bail out and swim to the nearest island. Yeah, maybe so. That's how it all plays out for me based on everything I've heard so far. Interesting. So the reason why you haven't heard about these bones, though, A scientific study claims to shed new light on the decades-long mystery as to what happened to Amelia Earhart. Richard Jantz, an anthropology professor at the University of Tennessee, argues that the bones discovered on the Pacific island of Nakumaruru in 1940 were likely Earhart's remains. The research contradicts a forensic analysis of the remains from 1941 that describes the bones as belonging to a male. The bones were subsequently lost and continue to be a source of debate. This is why you've never heard of the bones before. Mm-hmm. But in 1941, the bones were analyzed by Dr. David Hoodless, principal of the Central Medical School, Fiji. However, Jantz says that modern analysis techniques have delivered a different result, particularly with regard to gender. So obviously these bones were lost and we have now found them again. Oh, good gravy. Hoodless used a 19th century forensic science called forensic osteology that was not yet very well developed, especially considering what we have available today. This is true. Therefore, the sex assessment of the Nakumaruru bones cannot be assumed to be correct. Hoodless originally described the bones as possibly belonging to, quote, a short, stocky, muscular European According to Jantz, who, as I'm assuming, got this from his reports. The 1941 analysis also described the remains as belonging to a male around 5 foot 5 and a half inches. Earhart's plane license, however, recorded her height as 5 foot 8. And her driver's license said 5 foot 7. So we're really not sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, you know, if you only have a few bones. Yeah, Definitely. Photos also show Earhart's slender frame. Noonan, on the other hand, was a solid six foot one-fourth. Wow. I hope that was a tall plane. 
Yeah. Yeah, he had to be very uncomfortable. Yeah. So, easy to say we could roll the bones out of belonging to him. Yeah. You could definitely tell which was hers and which was his. Yeah. Jantz says that the methods used by Hoodless underestimated height compared to modern techniques. Hoodless used three criteria in his research. The ratio of the femur's circumference to length, mm-hmm. the angle of the femur and pelvis, and the subpubic angle, which is formed between the two pelvic bones. Now that kind of looks like a good place to start. It does. It does, because the subpubic angle is wider in women than it is in men, because, mm-hmm. you know, we have babies and they don't. There you go. Jantz says that the subpubic angle is the most reliable of Hoodless's criteria, but even that is, quote, subject to considerable variation, much of which was a little understood in 1941. I can, I can understand that. The scientists also compared Hoodless's measurements to data from 2,776 other people. And he used that as well as studying photos of Earhart in her clothing measurements. And this was his finding. Quote, this analysis reveals that Earhart is more similar to the Nakumaruru bones than 99% of individuals in a large reference sample. This is what Jantz found. And he says that this strongly supports the conclusion that the Nakumaruru bones belong to Amelia Earhart. I mean, 99% don't match, and she does? Yeah, she wow. matches more right. than 99% of other individuals yeah. in the study. That, that's a pretty good... Um, that's a pretty good possibility that those are her bones. Without being there. There you go. Literally. You definitely. So we may finally get an answer once and for all. Late in 2019, the bones that were found matching Earhart's description were sent off for DNA testing and comparison against the DNA of Earhart's one living niece. Wow. That is really quite amazing. I mean, is there any indication as to when we might find this out? I have not found out of an actual date or anything of that nature. However, CNN did have a report where they mentioned National Geographic doing a documentary about Earhart and the bones, so maybe we'll get the answers then. That would be cool. Because it, it doesn't seem like something they would just, like, publish in a corner of the newspaper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? No, that, that would be huge. Earhart bones found 80 years later. And you know what's so funny is, we're, we want to help people find their families, their loved ones, their daughters, their sons, whatever. And you think about that, and of course, Earhart's parents are not here, duh. But it's still a conclusion. People don't like open-ended No, answers. no. I mean, even though, what's it going to change if you know? What's going to change because we want to know that where this woman, what happened to this woman? Mm-hmm. Is she at the bottom of the ocean? Ugh. Did she? Oh my God! Yes, did she drown? Heaven forbid! My throw up. Oh God! Or did she? Or did she actually? That sounds like her. I mean, not that I knew her personally, but it sounds like her description. I would fight when I hit that what, water. Fight being at the end of the ocean? <laughs> no, I would fight when I hit that water to find land to try to survive to try to make it. You know, that sounds I would more fight, like her. Yeah, then. Hit you know, the ocean, this is it, going down, you know. Yeah. But, I mean, if you hit the ocean and you you pass out from the impact, you die from the impact, you, there's not a lot you can do no matter who yeah. you are. But it just sounds like, gosh, that's a blunt ending to such a adventurous life. Yeah, and honestly, there are some things with planes to where they depressurize so fast mm-hmm. that it can actually render a person unconscious. Mm-hmm. 
But I believe that that's probably not a factor in this case because she was searching for somewhere to land. She was lower to the ground. She had probably Mm -hmm. already depressurized herself like she was supposed to. Absolutely so. So I don't think that she would have been unconscious from that because she was, again, searching for somewhere to land already. She was already preparing to land. Right. And you would think she wouldn't have gone like straight down. She would have been like yeah, she would semi parallel yeah. or parallel to the water. She would have tried to yeah. making the landing more as opposed to yeah. I mean, because not long yeah. ago there was that commercial flight in mm-hmm. I think New York. I think something like that, that air that um yeah that had a water landing, a successful yeah. water landing. It was oh, like very Captain successful. Sully. They made a movie oh, called Sully. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, maybe she did try a water landing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as for Noonan, I can't really see her as leaving him behind. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming he must have died on impact or something. Right. right. And she maybe yeah. just, maybe his side caught the brunt and hers didn't. Yeah. And she was able to bail out and swim to the yeah. island. Maybe she tried to get him out and felt that she was going to drown to get him out and had to let him go. don't know. You don't know? You'll never know that. Yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> There's always going to be questions because... There weren't black box things, yeah. um, you know, those things that, you know, could give us a few more answers. And obviously, communication was not that great back then. Um, I mean, there's just there's so much advancement in technology and everything mm-hmm. now. And like I said, they can't find the plane. Really? No, they did find what they think is her plane. And they're trying to this prove that true. it is. This is true. I may get more answers then. And the picture that I saw of it is crazy. It's almost like the sea reclaimed it. Because it's like they found it somehow inside of what looks like coral. I mean, ah, I know there's coral okay. reefs, but it looks like the coral reefs kind of grew around it. Almost. That would make sense. That would actually make sense. I mean, over, over time. Um, it looks like they're yeah. kind of having to dig it out. Yeah, the coral reef growing and, and making that plane a part of it makes sense. Hopefully, though, that documentary will come out soon. That'd be cool. Yeah, I mean, I saw it showed a picture of some sort of, I'm say, like some sort of forensic lab analyst, maybe holding like a human bone and like doing tests on it. That was the picture. And, you know, it said that they had asked this person to be in the documentary and things like that. So hopefully it'll come out soon. But yeah, I'm cool. sure there's a backlog of stuff that they have to do before that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool, though. Yeah, it is. And, you know, hopefully we'll get yeah. answers soon. That'd be awesome. Thank you for listening to another episode of If I Go Missing. I'm your host, Megan, and I put a lot of thought and hard work into these episodes. I write, edit, and produce them all myself, and it means a lot to me that you guys take the time to listen. If you would like to follow us on social media, our Instagram is at If I Go Missing Podcast. Then we also have our Twitter, and that one is at Megan Noel pod. If you want to reach out and suggest a case, you can do that on Instagram or Twitter by sending us a DM. We also have a Facebook page called Megan Noel podcast. And we also have discussion groups for the podcast. And the name of the discussion group is if I go missing a podcast.